Because I can control the weather, they call me Storm. Welcome to This Week in Nerd News, your one-stop shop for all of the pop culture you may have missed this week. Brought to you by the Black Nerd Problems Broadcasting Network. I'm your host, Victoria Vertine. And I'm your host, Keith Ree Cleveland. This is a week that has a lot of news, and for some reason, all of the big things are kind of in the sad zone. So I just want to put that out there. Um, this first one, I want to give a little bit of a content warning, kind of just for black history, which is sad in itself, but I think that that's the best, the best content warning is just like, hey, this is about black history. And so there is a movie coming out called Judas and the Black Messiah, and it is about Fred Hampton who was the leader of the Black Panther Party for a very short period of time because America. And this movie looks absolutely amazing. The trailer gave me chills. But it follows the story of Fred Hampton, obviously, and William O'Neill, who is the black man that was basically blackmailed by the FBI to infiltrate the Black Panther Party and assist in the assassination of Fred Hampton. It's got a star-studded cast. Hampton is portrayed by Daniel Kaluuya, and uh, William O'Neill is portrayed by Lakeith Stanfield, and the list of amazing actors and actresses just goes on from there. It's being produced by Warner Brothers, and... The creative team is Will Burson, Shaka King, Kenny, and Keith Lucas. It's amazing. But also, can we talk about the legacy of black men and the cops and the power of knowing your history and just things that in general make my blood boil? I mean, the obvious question is, did you learn about Fred Hampton? But we know no one learned about Fred Hampton in school. But at some point in your education, did you learn about Fred Hampton? I've noticed before a lot of people of color, black people especially, we have to have a kind of secondary education in our lives where the things that we aren't taught in school in history textbook, we have to go out and learn through our own outlets, whether that be through like family and friends, through documentaries, or if you were in college the same time I was, through Tumblr, which can just be like the source of a lot of information and everything. So I was able to learn about Fred Hampton, Black Panther Party, and what they were doing in like my high school years because I learned a lot from family and everything because as I've said in the show I do live in, in with raised in Chicago Illinois which is where Fred Hampton was based and Black Panther Party had a very important role to play as well so this is all yes. things that I knew and even they were just in casual conversations like Fred Hampton was this or back in the day we did that the knowledge base was there and that's something I'm appreciative of for a lot of people they don't have that like they don't understand the fact and it's actually something I'll think about this movie too I'll get to later on is they don't know the fact that Fred Hampton, for as large as his legacy is, was 21 years old when he was assassinated by the Chicago yes. Police Department. For as big as his image was and as large as his potential was and everything that he had already done and everything he was going to go on to do, he was still only able to see himself live to the age of 21, which is basically a teenager yeah. at that point. So this is all information. That, like, so as far as the movie, to backtrack to that point, I'm very excited to see this because I think it's going to be 
you remember when everyone by everyone I mean mostly white people realized what happened with Tulsa when Watchmen dropped that one day exactly I think this movie could be that on a much larger scale like yes. they don't probably realize that there was someone Black Panther first of all they don't know what Black Panther Party is second of all they probably don't realize that Fred Hampton was someone who was actually building a coalition of people from all backgrounds and white people, Asian people, Latino yes. people, everybody just to fight oppression. And it was working. And that terrified the FBI. Well, So this yeah. is going to be great learning opportunity. So, so that's why he was dangerous, right? Was because he was building the Rainbow Coalition. I think that this is one of those things that is kind of frustrating for the black community, right? Because I think I, I think that the best case scenario is that it is that kind of watchman moment on a larger scale of mostly white people being like, oh my goodness, I didn't know this. I thought that the Black Panther Party was a terrorist organization. I thought everything that they were about was just about, you know, violence and killing white people and I didn't know any of this, and this is really sad. But also, it's really frustrating that we have to have a movie on this level in order to get this history out there, right? Because we've been trying to tell you that. We've been trying to tell you the establishment is twisting our history. And I I think the other thing that is frustrating to me when I watch this trailer is... Knowing the story of Fred Hampton, which which I'll get to in just a second, but when you think that you've come so far as a community, and when, especially when outside people are telling you, like, you have come so far, be happy with what you have, and you realize that Fred Hampton was killed in a no-knock raid on his house, in his bed, with his pregnant wife. And then you think about Breonna Taylor. Like, really, have we come that far? What is it that we have? What is it that we have gained? Like, don't tell us. Don't tell us to stop fighting when we have a history, when we have a legacy of this that is so prevalent and so like just. It's a part of who we are as a community, right? So don't tell me to just ignore that because. Things have changed for you, so you think that there has been this giant change. Take it. I, I'm getting... Ugh. No, like, it's, it's incredibly timely. Like, no, I get it. Like, we need this for sure. And one thing for me is, I think they said it's going to release sometime in 2020. I'm of the mindset, like, hey, we're not going to movies for a year. Drop this now, yeah. whatever you're going to drop, and let the world see it, because it's super timely right now. Like, and unfortunately, it's always timely because this isn't going anywhere, unfortunately. But right now, when, like, people are paying more attention than normal to this, drop this when you have a somewhat captive audience, educate the masses, and tell this valuable story. But to tie it back around to the whole Hollywood aspect and everything, this seems like it has all the right people involved. It's going to be incredible. One small caveat there, like, I know that Daniel Kaluuya is probably Mm going to mess around and put, like, an Oscar-worthy, like, performance in, same with Lakeith and everything. To go back to my original point earlier... If in a perfect world, I wish they would have been able to cast someone younger just to get across the point that Fred Hampton was only 21 years mm-hmm. old. Because Kaluuya, I think, is 30 at this point. And he works. And like I said, he will probably kill this, no doubt at all. But if they could have found like, some younger actor to play this role that you look at and go like, oh, he might be like 24, yeah. 25, I think that would have helped just 
put more context around everything that we're going to see in this film. But regardless, this is going to be great. I am definitely like going to circle my date on the calendar whenever they drop the release date for this. But I guess it's probably time we pivot on to some more somewhat sad news in the industry. Yes, go for it. So as a fan of comic books, I really do try my best to use this platform of This Week in Nerd News to highlight any worthwhile news in the industry. Unfortunately, this is the year 2020 where everything is broken and there isn't always good news to share. That's the case this week as it was announced that both DC Comics and the DC Universe streaming app suffered major cuts in the wave of layoffs after Warner Media made the call. Roughly one-third of DC's editorial staff was let go this week, according to reports from The Hollywood Reporter and many others, along with the majority of the DC Universe staff. Not to mention that DC Direct, the company's in-house merchandise and collectibles manufacturer that has been around for, I think, 22 years, was completely done away with with this whole wave. A handful of the biggest names of comics were affected by this because this, again, is one of the big two publishers. And the industry overall is reeling and wondering what comes next. For many, myself included, this was simply a matter of time. Once HBO Max was released and a lot of the content and property that was supposed to be for DC Universe started finding new homes elsewhere under the Warner Media umbrella. My theory, Warner Media is pivoting from D- to make DC Comics more of a content mill for intellectual property, so comics are going to go away. But their goal is more is less on making quality comic book stories and more so just having a place to tell stories that they can then translate into other things. Victoria, do you have any thoughts on where this might go and what it means for the industry at large? I mean, I'm not, I am also not super surprised, especially after we saw how kind of Marvel was treated when they went under Disney, right? And so it it didn't quite make sense for there to be an HBO Max and a DC Universe. Those two were always going to get merged and and that was going to have fallout, right? I, I mean, this is never a good thing for the people involved, right? And I don't think... I don't think that it's going to result in better storytelling. But, you know, some sometimes, you know, you have to shake things up and, and you have to move people around and that results in a better product, a better story. And I don't think that this is one of those times. I do think that you are right in that it is going to result in some of the things that we do love about DC no longer being quote-unquote important. I hope that I'm wrong. I hope that I'm wrong. The DC-Marvel kind of rivalry has always been a thing, and and it needs to be a thing. And so I, I hope that they... I hope that Warner Media really understands that and understands that they need to keep promoting the great parts of DC and not just cannibalize it. Sure. Like, that's the biggest risk with all this cannibalization. But taking it back a step, we all saw this coming, right? Like, DC Universe was kind of dead in the water as soon as HBO Max came out. We said, oh, Doom Patrol is on HBO Max now. Or, like, when we found out that, like, Stargirl was, a, like, like um, actually, um, Will and Omar brought this up when they did uh, their show on HBO Live earlier this week. Stargirl was supposed to be a DC Universe exclusive. All of a sudden, boom, it's on the CW, too. So I'm like, oh, this isn't really looking too good. So, unfortunately... As a wonderful concept as it was, clearly Warner Media is not placed much priority on what DC Universe was trying to do. And when it comes to DC Comics, a lot of people's gut reaction was to instantly go like, oh my god, they're getting rid of the comics. They're not getting rid of them, is what I don't think, because that is also like the origin of all of this stuff, and it would be ridiculous to do so. And I also don't think that they're going to full-on go 
straight up digital comics because they have a long term established relationship and they just messed around and like made that new deal for distribution as well. So they're still invested in print comics for sure. But I don't see this happening and not having long term effects on how DC produces comics because a lot of the people that were affected by those layoffs were editors, not even necessarily writers, mm-hmm. which in most cases are freelancers, but these are the people who are supposed to think about the strategy of the entire company as a whole and what everything's going on now. They're like, because I have a background in editorial myself, and that's what editors essentially do. They think about the strategy of the content on top of just editing it line by line. So I think this probably means there will be an impact on how many DC comics we get and what those look like and what strategy is. Hopefully it's not a drastically negative one you never really know because it may have simply been a matter of like we need to refine our focus and find what really works and stick to mm-hmm. that that could happen just being totally honest and somewhat optimistic cautiously but we're going to see this like a year from now because you know comics are produced like three months in advance so i do think like when it comes to like early 2021 we're going to look up and go like oh wait all these books that i was reading from dc and enjoying like they're not around anymore and they won't be for a while yeah. so that's going to be a tough pill to swallow but hopefully this just isn't being another one of like the small shifts in the larger scheme of comic books that have been around for hundreds of years and all that we'll look back on this in 20 years like ah that was nothing to worry about All right, so let's come back with a topic that we started talking about, I don't know, time has no meaning, but a long time ago. I remember a long time ago talking about Netflix's direction they were going, where they were like, we have all of these anime titles now, we're going to make them all live action. And I remember talking about not sure that's a good decision. And it seems like one of the ones that I was really looking forward to and many, many people are looking forward to has maybe gone that not so great direction. And that is Avatar The Last Airbender. So I know that people were excited about this, but super apprehensive just because the M. Night Shyamalan movie mm-hmm. happened. That's one way to put it. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. It happened and maybe shouldn't have. Um, and so that already had some apprehension around this title specifically. But then the show creators of the animated series, Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian forgive me for this pronunciation, Konietzko, had signed on in 2018. They came on board the team to help with this adaptation for Netflix. And so that had calmed a lot of people's worries. And now those worries are back (laughs) with extra juice because both Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konietzko have stepped away from the production And this is from DiMartino's blog. Uh, He says, And who knows, Netflix's live-action adaptation of Avatar has the potential to be good. It might turn out to be a show many of you end up enjoying. But what I can be certain about is that whatever version ends up on screen, it will not be what Brian and I had envisioned or intended to make. Which is pretty harsh. (laughs) That's, (sighs) That's pretty rough. So, yeah, I 
I am very saddened by this news. Honestly, it doesn't make me too excited for the rest of the Netflix adaptations that are planned either. So, I don't know. How do you feel about this, Keith? Let's take a quick second to break down the potential good and the potential bad of what happened here, just to get a, like a wider approach. As far as the potential good goes, I forget which... Um, Michael and Brian both kind of hinted the same thing, saying that this will not be what we wanted it to be, but it could still be something good that you enjoy. I think reasons why that's a possibility is that when they were involved, mm-hmm. they said that they played a very active role in hiring the writers and the team that's going to be involved with adapting this. And a lot of those people, as of now, are still employed by Netflix to go ahead and do so. So I would like to think that, to some extent, they hired the right people to do the right thing, and they will still fight the good fight, make sure we get content that we would appreciate as fans of the Avatar universe. Another thing that could be potentially good is the story's already been told. Like, this is an adaptation and not an origin thing. Like, pretty much, all, you got to hit the same beats. You want to add stuff in there in between mm-hmm. to, like, add, like fill it out, stretch it out, feel free. But you should know just to follow the blueprint with the minor tweets to go from there. As far as the potential bad, and there's so much of that, how do you lose the two <laughs> people... First of all, getting the two people who originated the show to join the adaptation is, like, amazing. You should do everything you can to keep that, at least one of them there, if not both of them there. How do you lose them both? And also, like, one of them said that they've been gone since, like, June, but we're just not able to speak on it. So I'm like, what, is, what went wrong? Now, and this mm-hmm. is another part. I think we need, like, a button for this. Like, when we had a sound effect or something, Jordan, maybe. Rumor alert. An article came out a couple of days after this announcement was made that there are actually rumors from a Netflix insider, quote unquote, as to why DiMatino and Kinesco ended up leaving the show. One reason, of course, is budgetary concerns. That's usually what it is when they record creative differences. Like the creators want to have all the money in the world to make something. Studios want to use as little money as possible to make something, and they can't quite meet in the middle. That's understandable. Mm-hmm. Now, the biggest red flags are two things I like to point out. One of which is a rumor that. They wanted to change the characters for this series, as in aging them up, so that they could have more mature content. And by more mature content, we mean more violent and more romantic, et cetera, et cetera. Oh. So I think I think when the show started, Aang was 12, Katara may have been 13, Sokka may have been 15, Zuko may have been like 16, right? Yeah. The most I would age them up is probably three years, because you can make mm-hmm. Aang an immature, like, mm-hmm. 15-year-old, and it still gets that, like, naive, childlike aspect of him that's very important. But they still need to be young in the sense that when the show first started, they don't really understand the grasp. Of what, they can't grasp the world they're in, that they're fighting this war and that all of this pressure falls on their shoulders. It's just like very like selfish. Like In the beginning of the show, Aang won't even admit he's the avatar to people because he's trying to like hide that responsibility. By the end, they're over here weighing the pros and cons of war and murder and life and death and like ruling the entire world and all these large concepts. We watch that maturation throughout the series. So like again, they still need to be young in this show for sure. Um, as far as making it more violent, I guess if you want to, but like again, like think about the original audience for this. And the next thing that's even more concerning, which if this, hopefully this is not true. Another reason why the creators left the show is because Netflix wanted to add more white actors to the series. No! Which I'm like, we've already been here! Like, this is like one of one of the many, uh. many problems, though, in my Shyamalan's version, aside from Earthbenders having to do an entire breakdown routine and move a pebble. Like, this is not what this is not the move. Like, you can't watch the cartoon and look at anybody and think that like, oh, those are white people. No, and that was the point. Like, and everyone's still related to it. You don't need to fill yeah. the cast with a bunch of white actors just so it was more universal. Like, that doesn't have to be a thing. I'm still going to be 
I'm not even consciously optimistic. I'm going to be aware of this development and like wait to see casting news yes. and like the original trailers and all that stuff before I even remotely fall on one side or the other. But it does look good. Yep, yep. It's it's gonna be a thing. It's gonna happen. Actually, we'll see. We'll see if it even happens. This <laughs> is true. some pretty big news. So they might just go back to the drawing board and be like, we need to Reassess. rethink our lives right now. So <laughs> Yeah, they we'll might see. say like Netflix isn't doing it, then they take it somewhere else. Who knows? But yeah, we'll keep an eye out. Alright, so time to pivot to our big ticket item for the day, everybody. Allow me to go a little bit off script this week and take off my usual TV slash movie news or comic book news hat and put on my very rarely worn gaming news hat. To be fair, this story also dealt with the tech news, which I have a deeper professional background in as well, so I'm kind of cheating. But still, gaming news, finally, from Keith. It looks like we're on the brink of war. Epic Games, the game developer and publisher of Fortnite, has, seen, has t- sent the first shot at one of our technological overlords, known as Apple. Just a couple of weeks after Apple CEO Tim Cook had to testify in front of Congress and argued that Apple's App Store is not a monopoly, Epic Games went out of its way to argue that it, in fact, is exactly that. The developer did so by pushing back against Apple's required 70-30% cut of all App Store purchases by offering users a discounted products in-game with a new update. For example, something that would normally cost $10 in the App Store only cost $7 in-game now that Apple wasn't getting their cut of the pie. Especially... This was essentially cutting Apple out of the entire process as a middleman. As expected, Apple then removed Fortnite entirely from the App Store altogether. And in a related note, Google later did the same for its online store feature for Android phones called Google Play. To prove that this was a calculated move, Epic quickly then proceeded to file a civil lawsuit against Apple, claiming that it was an antitrust violation when Apple removed Fortnite, stating they were what, st- starting what will likely be a lengthy and expensive war in the tech space with far-reaching implications. This is huge and can go a lot of different ways. How long do you think this has been brewing? And like, what do you think this could eventually turn into? Oh, forever. Um, <laughs> I hate all of this. <laughs> mostly because capitalism isn't my favorite thing to begin with. The idea that Apple can, with a straight face on its corporate personhood, which is a thing, say that it's not a monopoly is ridiculous, right? Like, Apple is clearly a monopoly, as are so many other things. Quite frankly, Fortnite itself is kind of getting into the monopoly zone, right? (laughs) So I kind of see it as, like, the War of the Titans, right? Like, they're all kind of bumbling around above everybody else and and we're going to end up with a lot of giant rocks falling on us like it's it's not going to go well it's going to change a whole bunch of things but unless the government steps in and actually makes regulations which it won't do the the consumers are the people who are going to pay as per usual we will end up paying or striking and then we will pay for something else. Yeah. Like, you go, like, there's one bully in your class, you go away for the summer, somebody has a growth spurt, and then all of a sudden you got two bullies, they got to figure out who's going to run the yard. Like, this is basically what's happening right now, and I want to see what happens, because Apple literally was just in Congress saying, we're not a monopoly at all, along with Facebook, and I think Google was there as well, and I think Microsoft was yep. also there. So a lot of big tech companies were there and everything, mm-hmm. right? This was timed very perfectly. I kind of want to see if this has any far implications when it comes to other developers and how they operate because 
Fortnite could just be the first of many large games that decide, okay, you know what? We don't need you anymore because essentially the way the model works is that Apple and also Google, they build the platform and they have the wide user base for these games to go like, you know, if you want to reach these potentially billions of people, you need our you need our access because we have them there for you. So we want our cut of 30%. Well, at this point, Fortnite is like, well, one, we're big enough now where we can go off and do our own thing and people are still going to come to us and we're fine. But also, like, you don't need 30% for that. Literally, all you did was just, like, go, like, hey, look over here. Here's the game. So this could definitely change a lot of models. And I don't know if anyone's going to step up and try to pick up the pieces of this. But this is going to be something we feel the results of for quite a while. Both because it will last a while. No lawsuits of this degree are very short at all. But also, the results of this are going to be far-reaching as well. All right, folks. And with that, it's time to close out the show. We definitely try to pick things up by, like, talking about happier news because it's been a bit of a heavy episode. So, as you know, we end every episode with our lightning round, but just because we can't get to everything that happened in news this week, we want to make sure you're still informed about what's going on out there. So, we have a couple quick headlines to get to. It was announced that New York Comic Con will be held digitally instead of in person due to COVID-19 because people looked outside the window and saw what's happening in the world. But on a brighter note, this means that even more people get to participate and it's far better off than a full-on cancellation, right? The Legend of Korra hit Netflix this week, so it'll hopefully shoot to the top of the charts and continue the momentum of the original series on the platform. And that's also like good Avatar news, kind of what we talked about earlier, so focus on that. Tying back to another segment for today, Daniel Kaluuya is going to be a time traveler named Esso in Netflix's adaptation of a young adult novel called The Upper World. So that would be kind of fun to watch. Let's also have a round of applause for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which just aired its series finale after seven long seasons on television, which had its very high moments and also not so high moments, but ultimately was a very pleasant experience. And lastly, thank you to our listeners who, one, listen to our show and support us and share our content, but also who defend us in Facebook comments when people are trying to come in and like start arguments and debate and everything, because I checked a couple weeks ago and saw one of those happening. So thanks for having our back, folks. But anyway, if you'd like to hear our thoughts on any of these topics or anything else in nerd news, feel free to tweet us at Black Nerd Problems with the hashtag TWINN. Again, that was This Week in Nerd News. Tune in next week for more pop culture news. I'm your host, Keith Ree Cleveland. And I'm your host, Victoria Vertin. And feel free to like, comment, subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts, and please share with a friend. Have a good week, folks.